0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends. Whew. Hi. Good morning. Nice to see you all. My name is Micah, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Glad you're here. I felt like I was in college singing breathe, uh, like 19 again. I told Laura as we were re- getting ready for this Sunday, I'm like, you don't wanna miss it. It's gonna be like we're falling in love all over again in college. Oh, Michael W. Smith, breathe. <laughs> Smitty. My grandma, bless her heart, may she rest in peace. We, we once had tickets to this like Christmas show and it was Michael W. Smith and Cece Winans. Yeah, I was a real rip-snorter, uh, and she, afterwards, she's like, boy, I just really like that Mike Smith. <laughs> You're like, Grandma, you can't call him Mike Smith, like, at any rate, that is neither here nor there. Um, but today, I'm very excited, we're starting a new series, as the uh, little video showed, Uh, entitled Wells and Fences. And so over the next six weeks, not including Easter, we are going to be exploring the six affirmations that sort of stand at the center of the Covenant Church, which we are a part of. I will just mention to you uh, I say six Sundays, not including Easter, for the first time in about 15 years I am not going to be preaching on Easter. My good friend Judy Peterson who is one of the best preachers I know will be with us on Sunday morning and that is a like, take my word for it, it is a major upgrade, okay, everybody? Um, Judy is just, Resurrection Sunday is by far, in a way, her favorite Sunday to preach on, in, in, a, in a year. And I have mentioned to you before, it is my least favorite Sunday to preach. Um, which, you know, that is a sermon, maybe a topic for another day, a pastor who really doesn't like preaching on Easter Sunday, It's just, uh, you know, everybody knows the story and, you know, you all come here wondering like how I'll tell it differently. And like, that's a lot of pressure. It's debilitating. So I am so excited to not be preaching on Easter Sunday. Judy is going to be. It's going to be awesome. So, but today we're starting the series and we're going to explore this morning. We're going to kick it off by really exploring this metaphor of wells and fences. And I have a sneaky suspicion about this series I have been praying, uh, if you were here last week, I took my own advice, and I have been praying a lot more than I, than I usually do, and specifically about this series, uh, Truth Be Told. I have a funny feeling that some of you are going to be, um, you're going to find that this series strikes a chord. And you may hear some things that maybe you've never heard of in a church before or you're going to hear things said in a way that maybe you thought, like, I just, I, my, I feel like my soul has wanted that to be true, but I've never been given permission to say it's true or to affirm it as true. And if this series does what it has done in the past, which I think it will, many of you may feel that way. Uh, and, and I'm excited about that. I've been, my prayer has been, God, like, set people free, open doors, uh, like tear down walls that have been built around like what it means to be a part of a church. Uh, this series, in my opinion, uh, as I think about it, this is like my I have a dream speech, if I could be so bold as to say, I mean, that's a big deal, right? Uh, it's a big speech. But when I thought about Awaken, like before it ever began, before it ever existed, these ideas and this, this sort of gravitational center was what I imagined and what I dreamt of, what I longed for in a church that I was a part of, but also got to be a pastor of. Um, this is like, as I think about all the sermons that I've written, I don't know if you know this, but I code them in my computer. So this is sermon number 330 at Awaken. Um, in all the sermons I've preached, this is my Mona Lisa. Uh, like, this idea is the most valuable contribution that I think I have brought to this church. Um, so I, I hope and I pray that uh, each time we've done this series in the past, it has been a catalytic event for our church. If you imagine like being in, on a sailboat, if you've ever sailed before, it, it feels like in doing this series, we sort of like set our sails a certain way, and then lo and behold, like the wind of God's spirit picks up and it starts blowing, and we like we actually have felt the the, the, the boat lift up and sort of be energized and moved forward as a result of doing this series together each and every time we've done it. And I am just praying that that's the case again Uh for us as a staff, we've talked about this last year in some ways, and it, it's been hard in, in a few ways. There have been some challenges along the way, and it has felt a little bit like you know, Tommy Boy when he's sitting out there with the, in the dinghy, and he's like, need a little wind here. <laughs> it's felt a little bit like that, and I'm just praying that God's spirit like starts blowing, and it fills the sails, and we're like, okay, now let's do it. We're cooking with oil. So that's, uh, there's a lot of pressure on this series, but I, I believe that God's going to do something in it. Uh, the last time we did discover Awaken, which is our little welcome to Awaken, glad you're here if you have more questions about it, someone came up to me afterwards and she said, I, and we talk about this idea of wells and fences and trying to be a church with this m- metaphor in mind, and she said, and I quote, I feel like this is a dream and I just keep coming hoping that I don't wake up. Like this is too good to be true, I've heard before. I feel like I've come home. So get your phones uh, ready for speed dial and your family members and your friends on there, like your f- closest friends and, and family, because I have a feeling that you're going to want to say, like, you have to check this out. you got to see it for yourself. I didn't think that this existed out there, but lo and behold, it does. And I think I might have found it. Um, Wells and fences, my friends, over the next six weeks, the affirmations in the covenant church would sort of stand at the center. This is the small center that we call like essentials in the covenant or affirmations and they are the centrality of the scriptures, the necessity for new birth, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, the church like... Constituted uh, as a fellowship of believers And then on mission in the world So the fellowship of believers And the whole mission of the church And then to wrap it up This idea of freedom in Christ Which for me is like the juice It is the mojo it is the th- It's the secret sauce The cane sauce Do you guys know? Cane's chicken That's what the freedom in Christ bit is If you go to Chick-fil-A And you get their sauce It's kind of like they're trying But they have not even come close This is the secret sauce It's the freedom in Christ bit so that's it. That's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. I hope you're excited, because I am. And even if you're not, you can, just, you can just draft off of my excitement, okay? John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there. I'll invite you to stand as we read the scriptures, starting in verse 4 of chapter 4 of John. Whew. John writes this. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather and we turn our attention to uh, your scriptures and to what it means to be the people of God together uh, as a church, I pray that you would speak, that you would do what you always do, That you would awaken us, that you would blow through the the caverns of this building and our souls, and that you would bring us back to life. That you would um, remind us of who we are, who you've called us to be, that we're loved and that we, we belong, that we have a name, and that you pursue us and want us and want to be in relationship with us and have provided a way for that to be true. So, say it again, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Every once in a while, I'll throw out an all-play question, which is a very complicated idea. It just means you can all-play. The question is this. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? Or said differently, what would you want your church to be known for? So shout out some ideas. Like, if you're, sit, you know, you're at the water cooler at work and somebody's like, what kind of church do you go to? Or what kind of church would you want to be a part of if you were a part of a church? What would you say? Joyful, thank you. Inclusive. Accepting. Good news. Serving the poor. Authentic. Gracious. Understanding. Open minded. Real. What, right? Gather up all these and what we would typically say of the church. Okay, 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 that's why we're here, friends. What kind of church would you want to be a part of? This is a question not of, like, structure or denominational affiliation. This is a DNA question. This is like, if you cut Awaken, what does it bleed? Like, what's the heart and the soul of this place? That's what we're asking. That's what we're getting at. And we're using this metaphor of wells and fences to describe that. This story in John chapter 4 tells of a woman... A woman who is on the outside of in. I was in my car this morning practicing before you all got here and if you ever drove up to the church at like 7.45 in the morning, you would find me in the back corner of the parking lot preaching to the squirrels. (laughs) Just going for it. Like, I really do. I go for it sometimes. Sometimes I'll I'll be like in tears crying, preaching in my car to myself and the squirrels. Like St. Francis of Assisi, you know? Um, This woman, John, chapter 4, she finds herself, oh, I know why I said that. So I was out in my car, and I'm like, I should have brought my hula hoop this morning. (laughs) Which is in my garage, and I keep saying to my kids, like, why do we have this hula hoop? Who uses it? Nobody. But I could have used it this morning. I would have held it right here. You know, like, we draw all of these circles or these fences, these boundaries in our lives for any number of reasons in in religious and non-religious settings, right? Where we determine who's in and who's out. And it's fundamental to who we are as humans. There's something in us that actually wants this. This woman finds herself on the outside of in on a whole bunch of levels. She's a woman, first and foremost. In the ancient world, she's nothing more than property, really. Uh, she, her value is, is only in so, it's, it's as much as she can produce sons. She, uh, she can't vote. She, her testimony's not admissible in court. A number of things. She's on the outside of in as a woman. Culturally, and, uh, or religiously and ethnically, she's a Samaritan. If you didn't know, Samaria is north of Jerusalem, and when the Israelites kind of came into the land that they then inhabited, there were people living there. And some of the Jews intermarried with the tribe from the north, and they became kind of this hated half-breed of Jews called Samaritans. They weren't fully Jewish, but they weren't fully Gentile. And so people, Jews and rabbis, when they traveled to the north, they would actually go around Samaria oftentimes because they didn't want to go through Samaria and talk to or be seen with or touch any of these dirty, rotten scoundrels in the north, the Samaritans. So Jesus sits down and chats with her, which is why she says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. She's on the outside of in. Uh, Morally and ethically, she's had a number of husbands and she has, at least according to the text, has a, um, a checkered past, we'll say. And Jesus engages her and yet she's on the outside of in on that front as well. She's at the well in the middle of the day. John mentions at noon, that's not random. You, never, you don't go to the well in the middle of the day. It's hot, you're in the desert. You go in the morning when it's cool or in the evening when it's cool. So no one would have been there at the well at noon, which is why she was there, Right? Jesus is there, and he engages her. This woman experiences all kinds of outside of in, all kinds of fences that have been erected for any number of reasons by people, power, systems, institutions that say, you're not welcome, you don't belong, you're on the outside. Until you change this, that, or the other thing, you can't come in. What's fascinating to me is Jesus' response, because it is the antithesis of that spirit. Amen? Amen. He doesn't doesn't say, well, I can't speak to you because you're a woman. No, he dignifies her presence by asking her a question, by addressing her. He doesn't seem to care that she's from the wrong tribe or the wrong side of the tracks or the wrong ethnic group or has the wrong skin color. He just engages her. Jesus doesn't seem to pay much attention to the fences that are all around her. He doesn't start with the list of sins or ways that she's missed the mark or... Like drop the ball and say like you know uh, all the ways she has to change or, or do this or do that until no his just his response is so simple and it's so straightforward. It's the offering of living water. And what's fascinating is as she experiences this living water, this truth about the Messiah. Her and then her whole town and her friends and her family are transformed and changed. If you keep reading in the story, you find that she becomes an evangelist. A woman Samaritan person who's had multiple husbands becomes the town evangelist, right? Of course it is. Of course that's right. The person who shouldn't do it according to all the religious rules is the one who's doing it. Isn't that just it? So here it is. This is what happens when people come in contact with the well, which is and contains the truth about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. Let me see if I can describe this in another way. I'll use the illustration of uh, farming, because you do, right? So if you imagine that you have inherited a bunch of land, and on this land you have lots of cows, cattle. And your job as the farmer is to figure out how to protect them, how to keep them safe. How to feed them, how to give them water, how to clothe them and bathe them and clip them and all the things that you do. Um, One way that you could do that is build a fence, right? You build a fence around the area that will keep the, the cows in and it's very clear as to when one of them has, now they're outside of the fence or inside the fence. And so your energy then is spent Patrolling the edges of the fence to ensure that it's doing its job. It's, you make sure there aren't any holes in the fence so that people can't get out, or the cows can Sorry, they're cows, so the cows can get out, right? You, you want to make sure that that doesn't happen, so you gotta make, you gotta, you know, shore up the edges and patrol the edges because they're hot. You know what I'm saying? Life and death if you're in or you're out. Now, that's one way you could do it. Another way would be. If you have all these cows and you're trying to figure out, how do I, how do I like, keep them safe? How do I give them what they need? You could dig a well. You could dig a well assuming and believing that what's in the well is actually necessary for life. And you will find that animals are not as dumb as we think they are. Cows will not wander too far from water. Because they know that if they do, they will die. Now, the difference between these two metaphors, you will see, is quite different. And the energy, or the emphasis, between the two metaphors is, I would argue, makes all the difference in the world. Psychiatrists in the 70s actually came up with these two phrases of bounded set and centered set. In a bounded set, so now imagine that we have people and religious rules and doctrine. So we no longer have cows wandering around, we have people in churches and the fences that we build are religious rules and doctrine, belief systems that say, if you believe these things then you can get in. So on the left hand side, the energy and the effort is, uh, the, the sort of emphasis is on patrolling the edges, ensuring that we have the right fences and the right beliefs to ensure who's in and who's out. On the other side, you have a very erratically different tone and temperature. You have a radically different emphasis or a radically different, like, energy between the two ideas. By definition, bounded set and centered set are as follows. A bounded set is a group of objects of people or people defined by a boundary separating those from inside the set and those from outside of the set. A centered set, on the other hand, is a group of objects or persons defined by its proximity, to an object, a central object or idea. Can you go back to that previous slide, Risha? I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that, like, for the most part, religious communities in America over the last hundred years more often than not look like the left than the right. Amen? Where, like, the primary energy... The emphasis, the tone, the temperature, it's all about the edges, and it's all about right and wrong, in and out, and the job of the church or the elders or the pastor is to defend the edges and ensure that we've got them right, and to make sure that there's only one way in, there's only one gate, and it's like, if you believe what we believe in a a bounded set, the question is, do you believe what we believe? And if the answer is yes, then it's like, whoa, the doors swing open. But if it's not, the door stays closed. And I don't know if you've experienced that in a religious community before. On the other hand, in a centered set, there is a different, like, mojo. There's a different energy. There's a different emphasis. There's a different temperature. The concerns that drive the conversation are not right and wrong, in or out, but rather, how committed to this thing are we? And is that thing in the center actually life-giving? Does it actually transform people's lives? Does it actually bring life? And if it does, then we just, pot we're pot-committed, right? We're all in on this idea. And that's this. I'm just going to say out loud and on record, at Awaken, We have no interest in this kind of religious community, but we are intentionally aiming at this kind of religious community. Now, you might be a step ahead of me, and you might be thinking to yourself, Micah, I think I've got you on this one. You're saying that, like, the well is Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, the life, death, the teachings, the resurrection, or even, even bigger, like the affirmations of the covenant. That's in the center, and that's a well. By definition, something is and something isn't, which is a bounded set. I've got you. You're right. You got me. Good job. I'm not talking about a technical shift here. I'm not talking about, like, the technicalities of language and definitions. What I'm talking about, and I think you all know what I'm talking about, but those of you in the room who are playing the devil's advocate right now, erecting a straw man only to beat it up, come on. We're not talking about technical things here. I'm talking about the energy. I'm talking about what motivates, what's the heart and soul of a community. One person actually says to that critique, the truth of the matter is this, all centered sets have boundaries, and all bounded sets have centers. It's true. These two ideas are not antithetical, but rather they differ differ in terms of emphasis. They differ in terms of emphasis. See what I did there? Put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. So the question is, where's the energy? What's the focus? What's the heartbeat? What's the soul? What's the sort of impulse? What's the gravitational pull? What's the center? So let's flesh this out a little bit more. Wells and fences. Fences, they create a barrier that keeps something in and out, right? By definition, a fence then becomes the means by which we determine who's in and who's out. And our egos love this. Our dualistic way of thinking, it, we love it. We actually gravitate towards it, but I'm actually thinking there's a better way to be human. There's a higher level that I'm calling you to, which is not dualism, in, out, right, wrong, left, right, but rather that there's a possibility of a third way, which is so fascinating that we find Jesus doing this all the time, but at either way, fences become the means by which we determine who's in and who's out. They're the mechanism. And they typically, cre- they're, the fences, they're typically created by the people who are in power. Right? When you think about systems that operate in this way, who makes the rules? Who draws the lines? It's usually people who are in power. And in our culture, if we're honest, it's usually white men who've drawn the lines. And I'm just saying, I don't think that's gospel. I don't think that's good news for everybody. So let's not do that. Uh, Again, in the bounded set, in offense, right, the, the most important question is, do you believe what we believe? And I just don't know that that produces much fruit. And I think some of you are here because you might agree with that idea. Rather, something else. A well attracts anyone who's thirsty. Anyone who's thirsty. That thing is of great value. Interesting. I'll check that out. Wells are something that we tap into. We don't control. Oh. The source... Where a well comes from, the thing that brings the life, actually it's out of your control. You can't can't stop it. You can't start it. You can't tell it when to flow or when not to flow. You can't put it in a program or in a box. It just is whether you want it to or not. And you just tap into the power, the flow, the energy, the life that's already there. That sounds good. That sounds gospel to me. Um, Wells are accessible from every direction. I think that's fantastic. Usually like in a bounded set, like there's only one entrance, you know, like in a gated community, there's a gate and there's usually a guard by the gate. I I don't think that sounds like church, you know, sounds like a gated community. The centered set community asks what is in the center, what is in the well, and does it bring life? And then momentum and direction become important. This is not anything goes, people. Do not hear me saying anything that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that doesn't matter. No, direction and momentum matter. Are you turned like, or will you turn or do you see or, and, are, and, and are you moving and at what pace, right? That's not anything, not, like nothing matters. No, 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 not at all. It's a commitment to that thing in the center which is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And then momentum and direction Fences, again, automatically, they automatically, bounded set communities automatically create a position of power and a position of weakness by necessity, by default. By definition, they do this. They create a hierarchy by the very nature of the way the system works. And again, those on the inside have the privilege and power and those on the outside don't. Jesus seems to always be on the outside hanging out, right? Empowering the people without any power. That should tell us something, people. Should tell us something. Fences shut down, potentially, fences often shut down potential relationships and partnerships. How many times have we seen Christians, oh God, forgive us? How many times have we seen Christians in churches say, sorry, I can't be a part of that thing that Jesus would be thrilled about because you don't believe what I believe? It's just asinine. It's absolutely insane and crazy that people who love Jesus wouldn't say yes to things Jesus would be excited about because someone can't check all the boxes. It's just bonkers. I think that we will, when when all of our energy and all of our emphasis is on patrolling the fences, there's a very real possibility that we will miss the Spirit of God at work right in the midst of us. Because we don't have eyes to see. Because we're so worried about the edges. Like, if we could just say, it's there, it's that thing, okay. Anybody, anybody who wants that, just come along. And if, and if like, you don't check all the boxes I check, then okay, fine. But we can agree that feeding hungry people is a good thing and Jesus would want that? Sure, I don't care why you're doing it, but I'm doing it because Jesus would do it. By the nature of the system, fences create an other. And again, our dualistic, our egos, like, we feed off of that. Turn on, like, any political or religious talk radio that's extreme, left or right, doesn't matter. Here's a little research project for you. Turn on a radio station that's, like, crazy out there on the edge, either left or right, and count the number of times they use us and them, they and we. It cannot... Once you pull out the other card, and you're not an other, but you're my brother or my sister, all the power is gone. You know what I'm saying? It just demolishes all the things that we use to like step on one another and create hierarchies. I don't think Jesus is about that. These systems, bounded set systems, they feed off of that. They can't exist without it. Without an enemy. Without somebody to scapegoat. I love thinking about if I were to preach resurrection Sunday what I would talk about is how Jesus seems to take the whole scapegoating idea and like put it on display as a mockery of foolishness by resurrecting from the dead and saying stop doing that to each other it doesn't work That's my resurrection Sunday's preach so <laughs> So let me close by what I'm arguing for Let me let me try to cast a vision for what I want this community to be, to be about I once was given a critique early on. They said, Micah, I I love you, brother, but it just sounds like we keep saying we're like defining ourselves based on what we're not. Can we stop doing that? It's a good word. So this is what I think we ought, nope, this is what I'm inviting us to step into because I think that this is the kind of community that Jesus is just free in to do what Jesus would do and the Spirit is free to do what the Spirit would do. And for us to say, Yes and amen. Let's follow. So, if we're going to do this, what will it require? I think this is going to actually require, if we say no to like being a bounded set kind of community where fences and patrolling the edges is the energy and the emphasis that we're putting out, and we say yes to a centered set where there's a small number of things in the center that we say, like, to be a Christian community, you kind of have to have these things, but then beyond that, We're like, we're wrestlers. We wrestle with the text. We challenge each other. We think about it. If we're going to do this, it's going to require trust. It's going to require trust and vulnerability. And my good friend Brene Brown is coming out now. No, just kidding. I didn't invite her. She's not here. But she talks about that all the time, right? Vulnerability and trust. If we're going to do this, if we're going to be this kind of church, it will require a radical and profound level of trust and commitment to this thing that is in the center. Without it, it doesn't work. Because without it, left to my own devices, I am so fragile and needy and, and greedy and I'm not actually that nice. I don't know about you, if left to your own devices, what you end up doing or what you end up like. But without that, without that thing transforming me and changing me and reminding me of who I really actually am, we're lost, we're sunk, it is a, it's dead in the water. There's no wind here. We're sitting in a dinghy just looking at each other. If we're going to do this, it is going to require a deep and profound and abiding trust in the fact that this well, this life, these teachings, this this person and this resurrection actually changes everything. It's going to require that from us. Have you guys ever heard of an inciting incident Don Miller talks about this in a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and he says that in every great novel, in every great story, there's an inciting incident which forces the character in the story to become the kind of character that the author wants the character to become, right? What kind of story are we writing as a church? Like, what's our narrative? And I would suggest that saying yes to this kind of commitment becomes an inciting incident for us because it forces us to be the kind of people and the kind of church that we say we want to be. Where we just, where we cannot do it without trust in the spirit of God that's among us and in us and working. Where we trust in the fact that this resurrection, like, it does change everything, and it changes me, and it has changed me. So it's an inciting incident. It's going to require trust, and I think it will actually ask us to give up control. It's going to require us to let go of some things that maybe we've held on to for a while. Maybe we've grasped and and give us a, a sense of certainty, a sense of comfort, a sense of knowing, I'm right and they're wrong. To do this, we're wrestlers. We are learners. We are people who are committed to, like, one thing. And then when someone has a difference of opinion or a different interpretation of the text, we say to them, that is fascinating. Tell me more. How did you get there? How, what informed your decision? How, what, what kind of fruit is that bearing in your life? Do you see how different that is Then, that's not how we interpret the Bible around here? That's sin, and everybody knows it. Do you see how different? Like, I'm caricaturing, but even if I said that nicely, it's still really mean. And it's motivated by something. What? I, I think you peel back the layers far enough, and you get to Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve are grabbing for an apple for the knowledge of good and evil. Which, friends, if you and I, as human beings, were never created to sit in that seat where we have the final say, where we become the arbiters of good and evil, right and wrong, I'm not saying that that that's not important. It is. But your job My job, the church's job, is not to sit on that throne declaring in and out right and wrong. That is God's job. So I'm just saying let's properly, let's find our place, let's find our spot in the choir, let's find our seat in the grand scheme of things, and just do what we've been asked to do, which is to say, guess what happened to me? I found Jesus and I've been changed. I was healed. My eyes were opened. I became less critical. I became more generous. I became less judgmental. I became more open. Open me up. Look at that's what that's all our job is. Demonstrate and announce. Demonstrate and announce. Do this thing and then say it's because of the love of God. Do that thing and then say it's because of the love of God. Demonstrate and announce. Don't, our job is not to sit in the back and say right, wrong, in, out, left, right. No. If we're in a, properly ordered relationship with the divine whose job is that? We don't need it. Free. You're free. You're free. Just so you know, good news, everybody. If you felt like the church had to do that or you had to do that, I'd like you to just take that. No. Um, Just like, get rid of that thing. Paul says, get rid of these ways of being. Get rid of these clothes you've been wearing and put on these new ones, which just say, welcome. So glad you're here. Image of God. Image of God. You bear it. Unsurpassable worth. You have it. That's it. That's all your job is. That's all our job is. This kind of community, that's not the energy. It's not the emphasis. So I'm just saying, friends, if we could just like slide over and like find our spot, you know, like a good drummer, just find the pocket, you know, just rest in it, right? On the back beat, y'all. On the back beat, (laughs) y'all. Right here. Like this is our center. This is our sweet spot. This is what we do. Demonstrate and announce. I am sweating up here. This shirt is so hot. (laughs) That requires, that's an inciting incident. And I think it makes us, it forces us to be the kinds of people that I think we all want to be, that I think we all just wish were true, that we didn't have to bear that burden. We didn't have to carry that weight around saying, oh my gosh, if I get it wrong, what's going to happen? I just don't think God thinks that way. I don't think God, like, is offering you that invitation to, like, hold that. So, that's all, friends. That's what we're aiming at. I've decided to ask my friends at this church uh, to end each day that we talk about this with a testimony. Someone who will come and just share why is this Wells and Fences idea so important? Or wh- what is it about the centrality of scripture that like gets you or freedom in Christ or necessity for new birth? And so my good friend Art is going to come. Um, Art is one of our faithful kids community teachers. So will you please welcome Art and he will take us home.
1: <laughs> Micah, you have to call me Mr. Art, then the kids will know who you mean. <laughs> and the families. Such a privilege to be a part of the kids' community. That's an advertisement recruiting video, by the way. So in 1990, I had the awesome privilege of, as a law student intern, of being in Canada when Nelson Mandela had been freed after 27 years in prison and spoke at their parliament in promoting their cause for liberation. And it was just such a powerful testimony that he brought. And I was thinking of, with the centrality of scripture about the, the arc of the narratives of scripture, how much his message of liberation aligned with that, and how much, on the other hand, the like there were people with apartheid claiming to be Christ followers, and I'm not going to judge that, but I'm just saying, and they, with isolated Uh, verses in scriptures that were misinterpreted, they thought apartheid was okay. And that is just such a misuse, and I would say an abuse, of people and of scripture. That's not the centrality of scripture. And of course, thanks be to God, uh, Nelson Mandela, one day later, actually got to address his own government. So praise the Lord for that. so I teach in kids' community. A few years ago, we were studying Esther, and we were talking with the kids about it. And, um, you know, we're getting to the big part of the story where Esther, with fear and trembling, and with prayer and fasting, is going before the tyrant king. And, of course, I'm thinking in my head, this king is like the, the queen in uh, Alice in Wonderland, where her response to everything is off with her head. And so I asked the kids, now, h- how do you think... The king is going to respond, and I want to just freeze-frame for a moment. So Esther and her community of people were refugees. They were discriminated against for their religious beliefs, their race, their ethnicity. Esther was discriminated against for her gender. And of course, when you think about what our families and, their, and kids experience in society, we could add other categories, ability, age, identity, uh, type of marriage, type of family. I mean, there are so many places in society where our kids and families experience fences. So, I, anyway, so I asked the kids, How do you think this tyrant king is going to respond? And one of the girls, without missing a beat, said, Mr. Art, the king will give Esther whatever she wants because he loves her. Now, as an aside, I'm thinking, that's a child who has seen love modeled in her family. But the thing that struck me is, she has the right story, the grand narrative of Scripture, which is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I love teaching because I learn from the kids, and I wish, I pray that we all could have the posture of kids, because it really... You know, when we're going through hard times or we're struggling in life, sometimes the only thing we know is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. And the Bible is full of wonderful narrative and song and wisdom. And, you know, as a lawyer, I'm thinking, it's not the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations. So let's not treat it that way. It's not an owner's manual. It's not a a cookbook with, you got to follow the recipe Exactly. It's full of one mysterious and wonderful narrative and wisdom for how to live well, love God, and love others. And I just thank God that I can serve under Mandy, who leads kids community, and and the pastoral, the staff team here, at a place where we can welcome kids and families to a well and the kids don't have to jump a fence to come to the well because Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so.
0: Pray with me if you would. God, as we take just a few moments to, um, to be still and to be quiet, we do so because we know that often in Scripture and in our own lives, you are found in the silence and in the stillness that you long to say things that the preacher forgets. Um, And so I pray that in the next few moments that you would do that, that you would remind us of who you are and who we are, that you are the God of the universe, the divine presence who breathed it all into existence and who is holding it together even now, and that you are still doing that and don't need us to do it for you, and that you invite us because you made us and you love us to be in relationship with you. And so, God, as we seek to be a church that reflects what it means to be your people in the world, I pray that whatever our part might be, if there's repentance that's needed, if there's, if there's risk and courage needed to step out in these next few moments of silence, would you just speak those words to us, I pray. One of my friends lived in California, and there was a coffee shop by his house, and he would go by in the morning, and it had these two signs in it that he said, We're open. And awake. I wonder if that isn't it. God, wake us up. Wake us up to what has happened, what you have done, who you are, and who you've made us to be. Wake us up. And then God, as we come in contact with your love, may we be people who love. May it open us up as we watch the buds on the, on the trees literally, like, open up with life. As you watch the flowers start to grow and bloom and as they open up and show their beauty, may it be be true of us that we would become open, that we would become more generous, more compassionate, more loving, more kind, and that those things wouldn't shrink in us as we come come in contact with Christ, but that they would grow. Amen? That's my hope and my prayer. That's the kind of church that I want to be the pastor of. That's the kind of church that I invite you to be. So, maybe, I don't know, but we'll see you here next week if you're into that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all the people of God said with joy in their hearts. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community.
1: See you okay. next time.